The first reading is 1 Samuel, chapter 8. That's the whole of the chapter. It's on page 287 if you picked up a red Bible in the entry. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your men servants and maid servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, and the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, Listen to them and give them a king. And then Samuel said to the men of Israel, Everyone go back to his town. God's people are looking for a leader again. Not surprisingly, uh, Samuel got old. That happens. Surprisingly, he appointed his sons to succeed him. Never before had a judge or a prophet done that. You are simply to wait for God to raise someone else up. Worse though, verse 3, did you see? His sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Sound familiar? Deja vu? Eli the priest and his two sons were greedy. Samuel's sons are the same. Israel, God's people have got a leadership crisis again. But don't worry, the people have got a solution. A solution to their leadership crisis, verse 4. 
they came together and they came to Samuel and they said to him, You are old. That's a good start, isn't it? Young people, I wouldn't try that one if I was you. Uh, You are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. You can see the appeal, can't you? All the other nations are doing it. And a king obviously leads you, unites you, and goes into battle to fight your enemies for you. What's more, a kingship means you know where you stand with leadership. When the king dies, his son will take over. Crisis solved. Think about that for a moment. When the king dies, his son will take over. And what was the problem with Samuel? He's old, he's going to die, and his sons will take over. They're not really thinking, these people. More importantly, there's a deeper problem. But when they said, verse 6, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. Literally, it says this was evil in the eyes of Samuel. Why? It's not just because it's against him. It's not just it's because it's against his sons, and his sons are going to miss out if this happens. No, he takes it to God. And God is displeased as well. Listen to all the people are saying to you, verse 7. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. It's hard for us to get really the problem here, don't you think? We think asking for another leader is perfectly appropriate. In fact, Australians, we think this is one of our national pastimes. This is more fun than the state of origin. You can constantly change your leader. And the thing we can't understand is why the people are asking for a king. When you get a king, you're sort of stuck with him for a while. You'd never ask for a king, would you? What would you ask for? A prime minister. Much more flexible. But when there is a king, And the people ask, give us a king. The king tends to take that fairly negatively, fairly seriously, fairly personally. In fact, kings call that treason. If we have trouble understanding that because we really think that kingship is not really the go, we'll put it in terms of marriage. Imagine a wife whose husband has promised, as all husbands have, to be faithful only to her. And she's reading the paper one day and she comes across an ad in the paper. An ad for a wife. And she reads that it's put in the paper by her husband. Now that seems outlandish, doesn't it? But really what you'd do is you'd sign up for a dating app. Or more likely, actually, you just meet someone else and choose Do you think a wife in that situation or a husband in that situation might take it personally, might take it seriously, might look at it negatively? Do you think they might just feel rejected? That's what God is feeling here. He is their rightful king. He has led them into battle and given them deliverance. And so he feels jealous and hurt And in case you think that perhaps the people don't realise quite what they're saying, 
king? Well, verse 10, Samuel tells the people all that God has said, do you see? He tells them this, that they've rejected God. And then he warns them what this king will be like, verse 11. He will take your sons, verse 12. He will take your daughters, verse 13. He will take your fields. He will take, 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 and you will be slaves. Do they then take the warning, the people, and say, oh, no, we realize now. No. They refuse to listen to God, verse 19, because they don't want a bar of God. They say, no, there will be a king. Their request becomes a demand because they have rejected God. This might seem like 3,000 years ago politics that doesn't matter. Even if you're into history like I am and you like revolutions, This seems like a long time ago. But actually this is the very nature of sin. We keep thinking that sin is breaking moral laws. Do not murder, do not steal. Well, these people don't break any moral laws here, do they? There's no sign of disorder or people treating other people badly. But what do they do? They have a God who's their king. That's what sin is. When we ignore God, when we don't thank God, when we think we know better than God, when we seek security in someone or something else, that's sin. Imagine for a moment a really good teenager, the sort of teenager parents that you'd really love to have in your home. They tidy their room without being asked. I said imagine, didn't I? They wash up. They offer to do the housework. They mow the lawn. They're a good teenager. Until I tell you that they haven't spoken to their parents for a month. That every time their parents try to talk to them, they simply walk out of the room and ignore them. That every time their parents put food on the table, they don't say thank you. Even the teenagers are thinking, They're not a good teenager now. It's not just about breaking the rules or keeping the rules, is it? What matters is relationship and treating people the way they deserve. God says, I'm the Lord your God. Have no other gods before me. Do you see what sin is? Do you get it? If this is what sin is, can you see the sin in your own heart? Can you see how you reject God as king? Could you explain what sin is to someone who doesn't get it? People reject God. I wonder how God will react. Let's have our second Bible read. Reading from Mark chapter 10. Starting from verse 32. They went on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he 
he said, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. But what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard of the, about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. God's people reject God. How's God react? It's clear, isn't it, that he knows he's been rejected. He calls it. It's clear that he takes it personally. But when God's people reject him, God gives. He gives them the king that they ask for. That's kind. He could have refused them. He's the king, after all. He could turn them down. They've requested, they've demanded, but it's evil in his eyes. It's bad for them. But despite all of that, he says, verse 22 of 1 Samuel 8, listen to them and give them a king. So there's a bit of a story in chapter 9, and you come to chapter 10, and Samuel gathers the people together, and it's time to present them with the king they have asked for. Chapter 10, verse 24. Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There's no one like him among all the people, for he's a head taller than anyone else. Then the people shout, Long live the king. God gives them what they asked for, an impressive king who in chapter 11 unites the people and saves them from the Philistines. They rejected God, but he answered their prayer. That's generous, isn't it? Does God ever do that for you? You treat him badly, but you still presume to pray to him and ask him for things? We do that, don't we? We even get a little bit indignant when he doesn't give us what we've asked him for. But God gives even to those who reject him and let him down. He 
is a generous God. But there's a twist here. He gives them what they asked for. But you remember what they asked for? A king. And God warned them what the king would be like. He will take your sons, he'll take your daughters, he'll take your fields, and he'll end up being slaves to you. And they demand it anyway, and God says, Righto then, I'll give you what you've asked for. In these chapters, uh, King Saul is only starting out. He's not really on his throne yet, and so you don't see him take, take, take. But you get a bit of a glimpse of what he's going to be like. There in chapter 10, when they've called all the people together, Saul already knows in private that he's the guy, he's already been chosen, but the people don't. And so Samuel is choosing them clan by clan, tribe by tribe, And finally they get down to Saul's clan and Saul's the name. But verse 21, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? The Lord said, yes. He's hidden himself among the baggage. They ran and brought him out and he stood there among... uh, He was a head taller than any of the... Which is quite comical. How do you hide amongst the baggage when you are a head taller than everyone else? Why does he hide, do you think? When he knows he's been made king, surely you would stand up and go, I will lead this people. He's afraid, I think. He's a shrinking leader who wants to look after number one, which at this point means hiding. Well, the people cry out, long live the king, and verse 26, uh, some superheroes, some avengers, some valiant men come to his side. He's told to do whatever he finds his hand to do, but he does nothing, doesn't save God's people. Chapter 11, when one of the cities are threatened by the Philistines, they send out word for help, but do they send straight to the king because everyone knows he's the go-to guy? No. They even come to his village, chapter 11, verse 4. The messengers tell everyone there, but Saul's not even there. Where is the king who's going to save us, verse 5? Just then Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen. And he asked, what's wrong with the people? Why are they weeping? Do you see what this king is like? He's a shrinking king who doesn't care really about the people and is not prepared to put himself on the line. This is what he's like before he gets on the throne. What's he going to be like when he gets on the throne? He will be a take, take, take king. And when God says it's time to get off the throne, he will refuse to let go. Now God is generous, do you see? He gives what we ask for. But you you should be careful what you wish for and you should be careful what you pray for because God gives us the consequences of our sin. And some of us have experienced that and are living with that, that we might learn the lesson. God does that in the end, actually. For eternity, if you reject him now, that sin, God will get the message and he will give you what you've asked for. He will keep away forever. You'll have forever without him and without everything good. That's what the Bible calls hell. Do you believe that?
Is that what you deserve? What you've asked for? Can you see that it's actually fair? Even kind? Could you explain that to someone who doesn't believe it? God's people reject God, but God gives. He gives what they ask for. Not just that, you see there on your outline, he gives his saving rule. In chapter 9, there is this bizarre story about donkeys. Now, I haven't personally got anything against donkeys, though I have zero interest in them. And I think after you've just had this revolution amongst God's people, where they've rejected God as king, and God has agreed to give them a king, the last thing you're expecting is a story about a tall guy and his servant who can't find donkeys. I mean, ladies, for example, you're not at all surprised that men can't find donkeys. They can't find anything. What is the point of this story? It goes for 13 verses before anything of interest happens, until finally the servant says, let's go and find the man of God. He'll tell us where the donkeys are. Saul shows no leadership whatsoever. But you begin to wonder, maybe this has got something to do with the story. And maybe Samuel is going to pop up here at some moment. Verse 14, sure enough, they went to the town. And as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming toward them on his way up to the high place. What a coincidence, you think. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. What does the writer here want you to understand? God chooses a king, yes. But more importantly at this point, when God's people reject him and the whole order of Israel, the whole order of the world has been turned upside down and you would begin to think what is now going to happen to God's plans, what happens? God orchestrates donkeys getting lost. God orchestrates two hapless men wandering around the countryside, getting them to the right place at the right time to meet the right guy, Samuel. What does the Bible want you to know this morning? God is in control, even when his people reject him. Not just that, God is in charge. Once Samuel has met Saul, who is it who anoints, who chooses the king and anoints him. It's God and God's prophet. Who is it who presents him to the people? God's prophet. Who is it who tells the people what to do? Who tells the king what to do? Who is it who writes the constitution of this new kingship? Chapter 10, verse 25. It is God. God's people reject him. But God is in control and in charge. And of course it is God who really saves them. I said that in chapter 11, the king that God has given saves them. But you'd have to ask the question, how does the man who can't find his father's donkeys, who is then wandering along behind the oxen and no one bothers to tell that there's a town that needs saving, how is he going to save anyone? Chapter 11, verse 6. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came upon him in power and he burned with anger. God's people rejected him, but God is still in control, still in charge, and 
still saves his people. Do you need to see this? Maybe in your life, at some point, you rejected what God wanted you to do. And it's had big consequences. God gave you what you asked for. And you feel like everything has played out since then. But God is still in control of every area of your life. He's still in charge and can still save. Maybe you feel like on a bigger scale that our community, that our world has rejected God and is now rejecting its Christian heritage and everything is going to fall apart. But God is still in control. He's still in charge and he will still save people. God's people rejected him, but God is a God who gives. He gives what they asked for. He gives his saving rule in control, in charge, and still saves. And finally, he gives them another chance. As you read the story about the donkey, there's this little reference in 9.16. It says, they are my people. Chapter 10, verse 1, they're his inheritance. Do you see? God's people rejected him, but they can't change it. They are still God's. And God is determined to bring them back. He saves them against the Philistines, uh, chapter 11. And then Samuel says this weird phrase, verse 14 of 11. Come, let's go and reaffirm the kingship. Reaffirm the kingship. I mean, Saul's only been king for a few months and he's just whacked the Philistines, thanks to God. There's no need to reaffirm, reaffirm King as Saul as king, though they do put him sort of do that in verse 15. But when they're gathered together, Samuel makes this long speech. That's chapter 12. And he doesn't mention Saul once. So whose kingship is it that they are reaffirming? Who, which king do they need to reestablish and re-recognize as the king? It's obvious, isn't it? It's God. And so Samuel recounts how God has been rejected by them before, but he saved them when they cried out for help, and how this time, verse 12, they are rejected him yet again. You, your enemies were coming at you, verse 12, and you said, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. God doesn't want them to go down that track. He wants to bring them back, but he knows if they're hard hearts, just the words of the prophet will not do it. So what does he do? Samuel says, stand still, verse 16. See the great thing the Lord's about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest? I will call upon the Lord to send thunder and rain. Then you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. God wants them to get it. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. All the people were terrified. Pray to the Lord, they said, verse 19, for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. When I was about 10, I didn't like reading. I thought books were boring. And then I discovered a new line of books called Choose Your Own Adventure. Some of you might know them. 
Instead of it being a normal book where there was just the one story, there were multiple stories with multiple endings, and every couple of pages you would have a choice. If you choose to drink the poison, turn to page 10. If you choose to run away, turn to page 12. And usually there was a twist, so you did run away, away from the poison, but you died anyway. And when you died, that was the end of the story, do you see? Bear Grylls has cottoned onto this. He's got one called You versus Wild. And you use it with your TV remote and you can choose whether to eat the tarantula or throw away the tarantula. And then you will either die or not. Sadly, you don't see Bear Grylls die. Sorry. But do you see? There are consequences to your actions and you cannot go back. But God, when the people choose and ask for a king and reject him as king. He sends the thunder and the people get it and they realize they should die. And yet God gives them another chance. Verse 22. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, even when they reject him. Because the Lord was pleased to make you his So verse 24, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will be swept away. Many people think that they've done an unforgivable sin. If only I could go back to the beginning and flip back that they've made a bad decision and the rest of their life is just second best. But our God is a God of second chances. This is not their first second chance, actually. How much more through our King Jesus? For God gave a king who actually submitted to God and he didn't take. He gave. And no surprises, when he came to God's people, they rejected him because he was God's king and so they put him to death. What would you expect to happen? But did that thwart God's plan? No, he was still in control, still in charge and still saves. He did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We reject God. That's sin. And he gives us what we deserve an eternity without him. But it doesn't thwart his plan. He's still in control, still in charge, and still saves and gives us a second chance. He is a good God. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for showing us what we are like, writ large in the people of Israel, who demanded a king even though you were their king. Help us to see and understand our sin. Father, we thank you that you're a generous God who answers prayers even from people who reject you. We thank and praise you that you are always still in control and still in charge and you are still a God who saves and offer us a second chance again and again and again. Help us to take that up to confess our sin and turn to your grace shown to us in the death of the glory of Jesus our King.
priorities. 